This is an Alert USA Threat Journal, Homeland Security Weekly Update for Saturday, July 29th, 2023. This week in security news, starting first with the conflict in Eastern Europe, NATO announced this week that it is increasing Air Force patrols in and around the Black Sea to counter Russian threats against civilian shipping and attacks on Ukrainian ports following their withdrawal from the Black Sea grain deal. In addition to destroying key port facilities used in the export of agricultural products, Russia has also mined Black Sea shipping lanes leading to those facilities. According to NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, Russia's actions pose significant risks to the stability of the Black Sea region, which is of strategic importance to NATO. Allies are increasing their support for Ukraine and increasing our vigilance. We remain ready to defend every centimeter of Allied territory against any aggression. Also this week, Poland's defense minister, Marius Blazik, announced the country would be doubling the size of their military in response to new threats to the country's sovereignty, including an expansionist Russia and neighboring Belarus hosting Russian nuclear weapons and thousands of Wagner fighters training Belarusian troops. That training is taking place at a base close to the Polish border. Blazik said the order had already been signed to increase the number of active service members in the Polish army from 172,000 to 300,000. Poland's Interior Ministry announced Thursday that Poland, Lithuania, and Latvia could jointly shut their borders with Belarus if there are serious security incidents involving the Wagner Group. And as a closing note on this section of news, the Military Times reported this week that the Pentagon had authorized hazard pay for U.S. troops serving in Ukraine. Multiple news services report that the U.S. has special forces operating out of the U.S. Embassy providing intelligence assistance to Ukrainian special forces as well as to provide security for visiting VIPs. Listeners are reminded that this past April, a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard's intelligence wing was arrested after posting classified documents to a social media chat group showing that the U.S. is among a number of nations with special forces deployed in Ukraine. Turning back to the home front, on Wednesday of this week, the House Subcommittee on National Security, the Border, and Foreign Affairs held hearings titled Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, Implications on National Security, Public Safety, and Government Transparency. In plain English, this was a hearing about UFOs, with three highly credible witnesses providing testimony under oath. The first, Ryan Graves, is a former F-18 pilot with over a decade of service in the U.S. Navy. The second was David Fravor, a retired commander with 18 years as a Navy pilot. The third was retired Major David Grush, a decorated Air Force officer and intelligence official attached to the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office. For two years, Grush represented the NRO on the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, and he is now a whistleblower. Here's a mashup of some of the most stunning portions of this hearing. All the questions come from members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. Remember, this testimony is being delivered under oath. Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? 
non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. Uh, in your words, a 40-foot flying tic-tac-shaped object. That's correct. Or for some people that can't know what a tic-tac is, it's a giant flying propane tank. Fair enough. Did this object come up on radar or interfere with your radar or the USS Princeton? The Princeton tracked it, the Nimitz tracked it, the E-2 tracked it. We never saw it on our radars. Our fire control radars never picked it up. The other airplane that took the video did get it on a radar. As soon as it tried to lock it, it jammed the radar, spit the lock, and he, he rapidly switched over to the targeting pod, which he can do in the, uh, the F-18. From what you saw that day and what you've seen on video, did you see any source of propulsion from the flying object, including on any potential th thermal scans from your aircraft? No, there's none. There's no uh, IR plume coming out. Uh, and Chad, who took the video, went through all the EO, which is black and white TV, and the IR modes, and there's no visible signs of propulsion. It's just sitting in space at 20,000 feet. In, in your career, have you ever seen a propulsion system that creates no thermal exhaust? No. Can you describe how the aircraft maneuvered? Uh, abruptly, uh, very determinate. It knew exactly what it was doing. It was aware of our presence, and it had acceleration rates. I mean, it went from zero to matching our speed in no time at all. Now, if the fastest plane on Earth was trying to do these maneuvers that you saw, would it be capable of doing that? No, not even close. And just to confirm, this object had no wings, correct? No wings. Now, was the aircraft that you were flying, was it armed? No, never felt threatened at all. If, if the aircraft was armed, do you believe that your aircraft or any aircraft in possession of the United States could have shot the tic-tac down? I'd say no. Just on the performance, it would just left in a, in a split second. It looks like that we have a problem here that needs further investigation. <laughs> yes. Uh, in your belief, is this, this flying tic-tac, I mean, is, this, is it capable of being the product of any other nation on the Earth? No, I actually, I said, like I said earlier, I think it defies current material science and the ability to develop that much propulsion. And I, I know there's been some physicists have done calculations, which is beyond anything that we have. Is there anything else about the November 14th, 2004 incident that you think is important for this committee to know that you haven't been asked here today? No, I, I, you know, it's, it's been said it's probably the most credible UFO sighting in history based on all the sensors that were tracking it and then for us to get visual and to go against the naysayers that it's something on the screen or whatever. I mean, there's four sets of human eyeballs. We're all very credible. Of the six of us that were involved in the thing, including the video, every one of us is going to do 20-plus years in the military in very responsible positions, so I'd say the world needs to know that. Based off of your own experience or the data that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs could be uh, essentially uh, collecting reconnaissance information? Mr. Graves? Yes. Mr. Grush? Fair assessment. Yeah. Mr. That's Fravor? Very possible. Again, in the national security vein, uh, is it possible that these UIPs would be probing our capabilities? Yes or no, Mr. Graves? Yes. Rush? Yes. Braver? Definitely. Do you feel, based off of your experience and the information that you've been privy to, that these UAPs uh, provide uh, an existential threat to the national security of the United States? Mr. Graves? Potentially. Yes, sir, potentially. 
Uh, same answer, potentially. Yeah, I'd say Favorite. definitely, potentially. Mr. Graves, in favor, you know, in the event that your encounters had become hostile, would you have, would have, would you have had the capability to defend yourself, your crew, your aircraft? Absolutely not. Sir? No. Based off of the information that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs are interested in our nuclear technology and capabilities? Yes. By external observation, sure, that could be a fair assessment, yeah. Yes. Mr. Grush, I might have asked this before, but I want to make sure. Do you have any personal knowledge of someone who's possibly been injured working on legacy UAP reverse engineering? Yes. Okay. Um, how were they injured? Was it, is it something like a radioactive type situation or something we didn't understand? I've heard people talk about Havana syndrome type incidences. What, what was your recollection of that? I can't get into the specifics, but you could imagine assessing an, an unknown unknown. Uh, there's a lot of uh, potentialities you can't fully prepare for. Are you aware of any individuals that are participating in reverse engineering programs for non-terrestrial craft? Personally, yes. Do mm -hmm. uh, you know any that would be willing to testify if there were protections for them? Certainly closed door and assurances uh, that breaking their NDA, they're not going to get um, administratively punished for okay. so. Um, Mr. Grush, why is it that you uh, refer to the phenomenon as non-human intelligence? Why deviate from the basis of extraterrestrial life? I think the phenomenon uh, is uh, uh, very complex, and I like to leave an open mind analytically to specific origin. When you say specific origin, are you referring? Can you elaborate on that for those that might? Not if it's a traditional extraterrestrial origin or something else that we don't quite understand uh, from either a biological or astrophysics perspective. Yeah, I just like to keep an open mind on what it could be, yeah. And so have you formed any general conclusions about what you think you experienced then? Yes, I think what we experienced was, like I said, well beyond the material science and the capabilities that we had at the time that we have currently or that we're gonna have in the next 10 to 20 years. What is the most vivid, concrete sighting with the naked eye um, of the objects that you described before, the cube-like objects? Certainly, I think the most uh, vivid sighting of that would have been near, near mid-air that we had at the entrance to our working area. One of these objects was uh, completely stationary at the exact entrance uh, to our working areas, uh, not only geographically, but also at altitude. So it was right where all the jets are going, essentially, on the eastern seaboard. Uh, the two aircraft flew within about 50 feet of the object, and that was a, a very close visual sighting. And you were in one of the aircraft? I was not. I was there when the pilot landed. Uh, he canceled the mission after, and I was there. Uh, he was in the ready room with all his gear on, with his uh, mouth open, uh, and I asked him what the problem was, and he said he almost hit one of those darn things. He said he was 50 feet away from it? Yes, sir. And his description of the object was consistent with the description you gave us before? A dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere. Inside of a clear sphere? Yes. Um, and with no self-evident propulsion system? No wings, uh, no IR energy coming off of the vehicle, um, nothing tethering it to the ground. And that was, that was primarily what we were experiencing out there. Pretty amazing. You can find much more on this story, including links to the formal written testimony of the witnesses in this week's issue of the Threat Journal email newsletter. Next up, once again, listeners are reminded that the Department of Homeland Security has a National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin in effect 
warning that lone offenders in small groups, motivated by a range of ideological beliefs and personal grievances, continue to pose a persistent and lethal threat to the homeland. Quoting from the bulletin, both domestic extremists and those associated with foreign terrorist organizations continue to attempt to motivate supporters to conduct attacks in the homeland, including through violent extremist messaging and online calls for violence. In the coming months, factors that could mobilize individuals to commit violence include their perceptions of the 2024 general election cycle and legislative or judicial decisions pertaining to socio-political issues. The bulletin continues, quote, Likely targets of potential violence include U.S. critical infrastructure, faith-based institutions, schools, racial and ethnic minorities, and government facilities and personnel, including law enforcement. Caution and vigilance are urged. Links to the full NTAS bulletin can also be found in the weekly threat journal email newsletter. Next up, in travel security news. Twice this week, Alert USA subscribers were notified of significant U.S. Embassy warning messages. First up, on Wednesday morning, subscribers were informed of a security alert issued by the U.S. Embassy in Dublin, Ireland, urging U.S. citizens to increase their personal security awareness and to maintain a low profile following a brutal attack on a 57-year-old American tourist from Buffalo, New York. Then on Thursday, Alert USA subscribers were notified of a security alert issued by the U.S. Embassy in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, warning of armed clashes, violent crime, and widespread kidnapping. U.S. citizens are being urged to depart Haiti as soon as possible via commercial means. The Department of State has also ordered the departure of family members of U.S. government employees, as well as all non-emergency staff. Alert USA also once again reminds listeners of a U.S. State Department worldwide caution currently in effect, warning of the continuing threat of terrorist attacks, demonstrations, and other violent actions against U.S. citizens and interests overseas. With these embassy warning messages in mind, listeners planning travel outside of U.S. borders to include normally calm locations like Ireland, take a few minutes to check out the U.S. State Department's travel website as well as that of the CDC for safety, security, and health considerations for your particular destination. In addition to U.S. government travel guidance, it is also highly useful to visit the equivalent websites of the Canadian, Australian, and U.K. governments to see what those nations have to say about your destination as the contents of security assessments can vary widely. Links to those foreign government sites can also be found in the weekly threat journal email newsletter. Finally, Alert USA also recommends international travelers take a few minutes to register your trip with the State Department's Smart Traveler Enrollment Program so you can receive important security updates directly from the U.S. mission in your destination country. All these resources are easy, they're free, and considering the increase in tensions and violence around the world, these simple steps could actually save your life if you just avail yourself of these tools. If you would like to receive Homeland Security-related threat and incident alerts on your mobile device, such as those mentioned in this podcast, visit AlertsUSA.com. AlertsUSA continues to monitor the overall domestic and international threat environment and will immediately notify service subscribers via SMS messages and email of new alerts, warnings and advisories, or any other factors which signal a change in the overall threat picture for American citizens as events warrant. This has been an Alert USA Threat Journal, Homeland Security Weekly Update for Saturday, July 29th, 2023.